You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, if you have not been with us, then um, let me catch you up that we are in the middle of um, looking at the Christmas story through the lens of those who are actually part of it. And sometimes, because of its familiarity, when we, when we hear or we talk about the Christmas story, it, it sometimes is easy to think of it as a fairy tale or a fable or a bedtime story, but this is history. This really did happen. And we are looking at these historical events or attempting to through the lens of those who were part of this story of what really did happen. And today, we come to Elizabeth. But really in the Christmas story, and especially as, the, um, as Luke, the writer of his gospel, tells us, the, these two ladies are very closely linked. And so we can't really talk about Elizabeth without talking about Mary as well, because Mary provides necessary context for us to understand Elizabeth's part in this story. So we're going to be looking at both. We'll be introducing Mary this week. We'll focus fully on Mary next week, but most of our time will be spent today on Elizabeth. And so with that in mind, as we enter this story, what these two ladies are going to model for us so powerfully is what worship is all about. What does it mean to worship? How do we worship? I think we'll get some answers to those questions as we look at this story through what Elizabeth and Mary saw with what God was doing. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 34. And just for some context for you as you get out your phone or your tablet or your hardcover Bible and get there, we're picking up the story where the angel Gabriel has now appeared to Mary, much like the angel appeared to Joseph, And he tells her, you are highly favored. God is going to do something amazing in you. You are going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You will give birth to Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, who will fulfill the promise of God to always put one of David's descendants on the throne. So he will fulfill those promises and all the promises of God. He will be great, and you're going to be his mom. And Mary's response to this is a profound, significant, amazing, trusting response of faith. And so that's why we're going to start there. So let's see how she responds to this news from Gabriel. And this will also introduce us to Elizabeth. So Mary responds to this amazing announcement from Gabriel. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And it's important for us to understand, this is not a question of unbelief. This is a question of how does that work? I'm trying to figure this out. And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And here we're introduced to Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now watch this response from Mary. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
and then the angel left her. And now we need to reach back into the ground we covered with Joseph last week. Does Mary really understand what she is submitting to here and aligning her heart with? Because this is a crisis for her and Joseph. And we looked at this reality last week. In an honor-shame culture, what you lose sleep over at night is doing anything that would bring shame on you, your family, or your village. And through the circumstances that have just been spoken to for Mary, in people's eyes, she and Joseph are gonna do all three. They will dishonor themselves, they will bring shame upon their families, and they will bring shame upon their village. Because just like today, if someone came to you and said, oh, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, would you really buy into that? Would you really believe that? And the same is true of people back then. That just does not happen. That's not where babies come from. So it wouldn't go over now, and it did not go over then, and it had implications then. Because now what this means is Mary's life is potentially at risk. Because in that culture, an unwed, single, teenage woman who was pregnant had broken God's law, and therefore in Deuteronomy 22, she could be stoned. Her life was on the line, and possibly even Joseph's life was on the line, depending on how this was spun and what had really happened. But we know what had really happened. This was a work of God, because it was the word of God. And so right out of the gate, one of the first realities that we see of worship is in Mary's response here. Worship trusts the word of God. And Mary beautifully illustrates that for us in how she responds to what the angel said. It's amazing. And it is instructive for you and me, because I guarantee you, If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you are trying to align yourself with his word, there will be seasons and times and situations in your life where he will tell you to do something that makes no sense whatsoever. He will tell you to do something or not to do something that you don't feel like doing or that you do feel like doing. He will tell you to do something and ask you to obey when it's completely contrary to what you think you should do. And that will be a defining moment each time that happens for you and me. Are we gonna trust the word of God? Or are we gonna decide to do what we think is best? And Mary models to us this incredible reality of of trusting the word of God because it really does reveal who we worship with how we respond But we also look at this story, and it continues on with this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And there's some realities lurking in here for us. It says that Mary immediately went to go see Elizabeth. And that is significant. This was no small journey, by the way. We know geographically this, this was anywhere from a 50 to a 100 mile journey. We don't know if she went alone or she went with a group, but we just don't know. But what we do know was that it was not an easy journey. It's through some very rugged territory. I've been to Israel, I've seen the path she took. It's amazing that, that anyone could do it, but that's how you got around then, you walked. 
And that's what she does, and she does it immediately. But let's enter the story a little deeper and see things through her eyes. Who exactly is going to believe her that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Because here's the deal. We don't know where in the timeline that angel appeared to Joseph. Maybe Joseph knows, but probably not. So what is Joseph going to think of her news? What is her family going to think of her news? What is Joseph's family going to think of her news? What is everyone in Nazareth going to think of her news? God sends her to the one person who will believe her. Do we appreciate that? Who is the one person in this story at this point who's going to really take her at her word? Elizabeth, because God is performing a miracle with Elizabeth as well. But once again, Mary models to us something very profound about worship. She responds to the work of God. That angel all but tells her, go see Elizabeth. And she does, immediately. And so she goes to see her. And this is very significant for you and me because sometimes we can reduce worship to something passive. And I would submit to you, based on realities like we see in this story, worship is never passive. It is always active, even when you're waiting for something. It's kind of counterintuitive. When we think of waiting for something, at least for me, I think of doing nothing. But the type of waiting that we see modeled in the story and really throughout scripture for those who are trusting God and seeking to respond to him and to follow him, even when they can't see where he's working, is they actively wait. Let's enter the story once again. How long has it been since the last prophecy, the last prediction that the Messiah would come? 400 years. Centuries. Malachi was penned and articulated 400 years prior to this. So Mary and Elizabeth and others like them were waiting expectantly for God to do what he said he was going to do. Is there something you're waiting on for God to do in your life? Waiting for God when it seems like he's doing nothing? What do you think those 400 years were like? We know life was miserable for the Jewish people under Roman occupation. It was horrific. We, we have no frame of reference for how awful their daily life was. And God's at work hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later? Yeah. You see, the reality is God is always at work even when we don't see it. About this time, a couple years ago, Christmas time, Jamie and I had some previous neighbors knock on our door. And for some context with this, these neighbors had, were in the neighborhood when we first moved there with our family many years ago, and they had a son who was the same age as our son, Kylan, and they basically grew up together, spent time together. In those years, their son came to Grace. Sometimes dad would come with him to our candlelight services, just like we're gonna do here in a couple weeks again on Christmas Eve. And we thought at one point in there, the son received Christ. We weren't really sure. But mom was a Buddhist. Dad was seemingly spiritually open. But that's about as far as it went. Dad passed away. 
and mom and son moved, and we lost contact with them, and it had been many years when this knock on the door was them, mother and son. And so Jamie and I are stunned, and come in. So they come on inside, and we begin to talk, and the son goes on to say, you know, I just wanted you to know, actually mom and I both wanted you to know, that your example of loving Jesus and following him, the way you modeled that to us, the way you did life with us at times, that mattered. Because you see, in college now, I received Christ a couple years ago. And I'm now in the leadership of my, of my group. I'm being discipled. And he said, oh yeah, and by the way, mom just received Christ. She gets baptized tomorrow night at her church. It was, it was epic. I'll take a Christmas like that every year, please, right? But here's the reality. For years, especially with mom, we didn't see any work of God. Years. Seemingly no interest at all in ever considering or knowing or following Jesus Christ. Just because you do not see the work of God does not mean God is not working. He is always at work. So therefore, when you're waiting for him to work, like I am with my immediate family who don't know the Lord, my family of origin, I have tried to model Christ, speak Christ, be Christ to them for decades. Seemingly no movement doesn't mean God's not working. So I'll ask you again, what are you waiting for God to do in your life? And are you waiting actively, expectantly, as an act of worship? Because Mary and Elizabeth both modeled that to us. So Mary arrives at Elizabeth's home. And it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, and this is where we've got to stop for a minute. So sometimes when we're reading a story like this, we just breeze on by stuff and miss some really important details. And you can read that and go, in a loud voice, she exclaimed. She's shouting. Do we realize that? In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, I have questions about this. There's a lot that I have questions about here. Number one, how did Elizabeth know that Mary was pregnant? Because the way this story is written and what we're led to believe is that she immediately, when Mary heard from the angel, she immediately went to go visit Elizabeth. Therefore, she wasn't showing yet. How does Elizabeth know she's pregnant? But it gets better. Why does she say, you're the woman? Because that's basically what she says. You are the most blessed of all women. Now, there's a question there, because in that culture, we do know this, that the older was hardly ever praised by, uh, let me rephrase that, the younger was hardly ever praised by the older. This is completely reversed on its head. Elizabeth is praising Mary. That, that wasn't something culturally that, that happened. And by the way, how does she know the identity of Jesus? Because what she's basically saying here 
is the Lord who sent you is now the Lord who is in you. What, did she have a Jesus ultrasound machine that she hooked up? Let's say, oh, there he is, he's waving to me. You know, how does she know that? And how does she know that God has spoken to her? Did you get this? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She is saying God has made promises to you. How does she know that? And we're told the answer to all those questions in this very passage. And the answer is? For $500, right? <laughs> the Spirit of God. How does she know this stuff she shouldn't know? The Holy Spirit, the power of God. Now, let's do a little business with this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we know who he isn't. He's not an it. And in my pastor theology, I cringe a little bit when I hear people talk about the Holy Spirit and say, yeah, it did this. He's not an it. He's not Casper the Friendly Ghost. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you have Jesus in your life, you have the Spirit of God in your life. And that has significant implications. For starters, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, or another way that can be translated, God did not give us a spirit of fear. And the most repeated command in the Bible is, do not fear so fear is not from God, not that kind of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. That is the spirit of God. Do we not see that here in what Elizabeth says? And notice what she doesn't say. She doesn't say, whoa, where'd that come from? Or I'm not sure how I knew that. We may have to, let me extrapolate the data and see what comes. You know, she doesn't say that. She welcomes the spirit and God does his thing, and, and it's pretty amazing. So do you welcome the Spirit of God in your life? Do you know how to recognize him? Listen to him? Respond to him? Trust him? Because he reveals the work of God. He explains the word of God. He guides us into deeper intimacy with God. And some of you, legitimately so, and I'm sure some who will be listening in our online community are saying, yeah, I don't quite get all that. Well, that's okay. We'd love to help with that. Years ago, we did a multi-week series exclusively on the Holy Spirit. It's archived on our website in our sermon archive. Go and listen to that. Because if you know Jesus you have his Holy Spirit. He literally lives inside of you, and you have this power that you have access to, but you will spend a lifetime learning to recognize him and respond to him and listen to him and, and trust him. I'm still learning to recognize his work and his presence in my life. But when he does his work in your life, then it gives you the power to bless others. And that's something we see very, very prominently in what's going on between Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth, the older, is blessing Mary, the younger. And so many times you and I can fall into the trap of when God blesses us, it's just to bless us. No, 
No, no, no. When God blesses us, yes, he wants to bless us, but he blesses us not just for our sake, but for the sake of other people. God blesses us to bless others. That's one of the values behind this Advent conspiracy focus that we deliberately enter into, and we do this in a variety of ways throughout the course of the year, corporately, together. But God has blessed us and given us time and relationships and money and stuff in part so we can be a blessing to others. That's why we do Advent conspiracy. God blessed Elizabeth to be a blessing to Mary, and the same is true for us. And since we're talking about community, let's go there because worship is something that deepens in community. Yes, you should worship God individually. But you need to worship him communally as well because here's the reality. There is a depth of intimacy. There is a depth of awareness and knowledge and closeness that you will not experience apart from worshiping God in community. There's something that happens when God's people get together and they seek him together. I have a neighborhood full of people who over the years, as we've talked about spiritual things, who say they're Jesus followers and they're not in community. And you know what? A common denominator that runs through every single one of their lives, I've thought of every example, I have a name and a face behind each one of these things I'm about to say, the common denominator that runs through their lives is none of them are in community. Not part of a church family in any way, shape, or form. And to a person, they would all say, because I've had this conversation with them, yeah, I, I'm, not, yeah I'm not really growing. I'm, I'm not, nothing's really changed last year or the year before. Well, there's a reason for that. Maybe not the only reason. But there is a depth of intimacy you will only achieve in community worshiping and seeking God together with other believers. Now, it doesn't have to be a corporate gathering like this. It can be small groups. That's one of the many reasons why we try to encourage you to get into some type of small group community is you are gonna discover God and learn about God and grow in God together in ways that you won't be able by yourself. And it's also why we're about to do something here this next month that we've been preparing for for about a year and a half that I'd like to catch you up to speed on. We are looking to extend and expand our community as a church family. This has been in our strategic plan that the elders and leadership and I have been working and praying about for about three years. It got some momentum about a year and a half ago, and now we're ready to do it. And that is starting January 5th, the first Sunday in January, when we launch our Galatians series, which I'm very excited about. Never gone through Galatians together. When we launch that series, this service will be streamed live to Facebook every week starting January 5th. Let me make you sail as to why we're doing this. Because a year and a half ago, I was not fully on board with this. Because like some of you, or at least... You might be thinking this, I was. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now by doing this, are we catering to people to not come to church? Are we encouraging people to not be involved in meaningful corporate community? And let's go there together. I honestly don't think that that's how the majority are gonna respond. Some will, oh for sure. Some will see that as their way to not meaningfully engage in a relational community. But I think there's some higher values that supersede that. Number one, this is where our younger generations are. 
the average teenager right now spends 200 minutes a day online. Most of that through social media, most of that through whatever mobile device they have. Think about that for a minute. Where are our younger generations? They're online. In the Northwest, we know statistically, there's data that validates this, that the primary way people connect into church is through friendships and relationships. That's one of the many reasons why we encourage you, by way of example, with our Christmas Eve services, man, invite someone to come. Because this whole communal idea, value, reality that we're talking about here, it's intuitive. And people around Christmas and Easter who never darken a church door, or maybe who used to, will come to a church because they want something that they're only going to get in a corporate gathering that worships God. So be bold and deliberate and intentional about who you invite. Take out your phone, look at your address list, and invite people to come. But that being said, the second way, apart from friendship or relationship, that people find their way into a church community is they go online. It used to be they'd show up at your door with some fear and trepidation and give it a try. Yeah, it actually has backed off from that. It used to be, a handful of years ago, they'd look at your website, and if they liked what they saw, then they might give your church a try. But what we've been finding and seeing, especially here in the Northwest, because we are the most unchurched region of the entire country, always have been, people want to see what actually happens in your services, and they will look for an online service. They'll watch it a handful of times because they want to know what they're getting into, and then they might do your website, and sometimes it's not that linear. Sometimes they jump right from there and come to your church. But gang, here's the deal. Jesus did not, when he came, build a little hut and hang a sign outside that says, the Messiah is in. Come talk to me. <laughs> right? What did he do? He went to where people are. Not only did he example that, he commanded that. The last recorded words we have of Jesus before he ascended to heaven that form our mission statement in Matthew 28 are, stay where you are and make disciples of all people. No. What does it say? Go. Go and make disciples of all people. This is another way where we are trying to go to people and to introduce them to Jesus, especially people who we might never get the chance to. There's another value in this. Sometimes there are folks who are sick like you and me, who can't come to church at times and they want to meaningfully engage in corporate worship because they can't be there. We have a number of people who will never be able ever to darken the door of our church again and they are part of our church family. They're shut-ins. They would love to be able to connect with you through this medium. And then we have people who are traveling or who maybe work and you know they can sneak into the employee break room and watch the service. Just kidding. But Let's go another example. They're traveling. By way of example, Sarah Bieri, our worship leader, when she was gone a couple weeks ago and was traveling in the airport because we were doing a beta version of this, she was able to pull up our service and watch it and, and worship. And she said it was wonderful. And we're looking unapologetically to plant seeds from the word of God into as many hearts as possible. And finally, we are not early adopters of this. We're kind of middle adopters of this. There's a number of churches who have gone before us and we've consulted with them and hopefully we've learned from some of the things they've learned not to do and have learned to do. But, but we're not the only one doing this, but we do think it is significant that we can. God has provided the resources to do that. And so this is what we're going to do. 
Starting every Sunday on January 5th, this service will stream live up to Facebook and then we'll expand it to other platforms as soon as we have the means to do so because we are looking to invite as many people in the community as we absolutely can. And you can be a part of it. Here's a shameless plug. We're looking for camera operators. We've built that team. We've got two in the back right now. But we're looking for more to expand that team because we want to make this as sustainable as possible. If you're interested in that, would you talk to me or our producer, Jim, or write it on a communication card? No experience necessary. We will teach you how to get my good side. (laughs) But as I've been told by my son in the back, who is one of the operators this morning, Dad, you don't have a good side. Okay, that's, (laughs) you know, we all know that but we'd love for you to be a part of this. But this is what we're doing because we're looking to deepen community and expand community because worship ultimately leads to joy and blessing. Now, let's do some business with that. In God's word, happiness and joy are virtually synonymous. Often it's the same word used to describe both. But I do think experientially, not definitionally necessarily, but experientially there is a difference between the two. Because I would submit to you that joy supersedes and transcends circumstances and situations. There are lots of things that make me situationally happy. But it's possible to find joy and to have joy when things are not good situationally and circumstantially. And I think, and this is just me speaking, this isn't Bible necessarily, but I think we can allow circumstances and people to steal our joy when we don't have to. Let's enter the story once again and possibly see what Elizabeth sees. She's pregnant. But what comes with that? Assumably, and we don't know this for sure, but assumably, she and Zacharias are impoverished. They certainly don't have what you and I have. They don't have the resources we have, the money, the stuff, not even close. So now there's gonna be another mouth to feed for them, and that has implications. Number two, did you notice how old Elizabeth was? How old was she? Old, we're not told. (laughs) Now I've talked to a number of grandparents over the years, and I've been told by many of those grandparents that grandkids are the reward for not killing your kids when they were teenagers. (laughs) I'm good with that. But what those grandparents have also told me is that most of them, they're really glad they're not parents as grandparents because they love to spend time with their grandkids and sugar them up and send them away back to mom and dad, right? And man, there there is a special blessing, a special reward, I believe, for those grandparents who, because of circumstances within families, have had to step in and be the functional parents for whatever reason, God's blessing to you. What you are doing is so important and so significant, but think about this through the lens of Elizabeth. She's basically a grandma who's about to become a mom for the first time with all that that means. And if that wasn't enough, a lot of women died in childbirth back then. How is she going to give birth at her age and survive? Do you see how the joy that's rightfully hers to have could be stolen by fear and circumstances? But what does it tell us? What do we know? She declares in 
the passage prior to this that God has taken away her disgrace and her shame. Because unfortunately, in that honor-shame culture, if you were infertile, if you could not have a child as a woman, it was usually assumed that it's a you problem. You've wronged God. There's some kind of hidden sin in your life. There's something wrong with you, and therefore, this is a curse that you've deserved. And not everyone thought like that, but a lot of people did. And she says, God has removed that disgrace, that shame, that weight that she she has carried her whole life. And she's joyful. And if that wasn't enough, right before her is the Messiah, who they've all been waiting for for hundreds of years, and he's right there in Mary's belly. And if that wasn't enough, the baby inside of her leaps for joy in the presence of the Messiah. And this baby who Elizabeth is going to have isn't just any baby. Malachi also declared at the very end of that book that one would come who would be the forerunner to Jesus, who would prepare the way for Jesus, who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, and his name was John the Baptist. She isn't just going to have any baby. Her child is John the Baptist. And she explodes with this joy because, once again, worship is remembering who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he is going to do. And circumstances and situation don't necessarily dictate that. That's why you can have joy in the face of cancer. You can have joy in the heart of loss. You can have joy in the depths of depression. And you fill in the blank. And the reason I can say that so confidently is because you've taught me that. I've seen a number of you find joy in the hardest of circumstances. Because you can. Because joy ultimately is rooted in who this amazing God is. What he's done, what he's doing, what he promises to do. No one can take that from you and nothing can take that from you. That joy is yours to have. And my friends, if a baby can get this, I can get this. John the Baptist, he isn't even born yet. And he leaps for joy. He's already doing his job pointing at Jesus. There he is, right? And if a baby can get it, I can get it. And this was really driven home to me many years ago on a missions trip that I took with a couple of folks from here to the country of Bolivia. And I mentioned this in my Facebook sermon preview, and I'll finish the story that I left undone there. But I went on this missions trip. It was a business's mission trip, so I went with some businessmen to go support some of our missionaries at the time who were serving in Bolivia. And what you may not know about Bolivia is it is the most impoverished country in all of South America. And I've seen poverty in other cultures and other contexts, but never like this. It was heartbreaking. And the family that was hosting us, on the final night we were there, put on this huge dinner for us. Really, it was a banquet. Invited all their family and our team, and we couldn't necessarily communicate well. They mostly spoke Spanish. You know what my Spanish is like, so thankfully I stuck to English at that point. But there was a connection there that superseded differences in culture and language because we knew and loved Jesus Christ. And and it was just there. And there was joy and laughter and, and it was, the food was amazing and then we parted ways and I learned after the fact that in order to put on that meal, many of the adults for the rest of the week were only able to have two meals a day, some only one. And some actually fasted for a couple days to sacrifice 
in order to provide for us the very food that we enjoyed and that we ate. And they had such joy. And it was so rich. And as I heard about this, as I was thinking about this on that long plane ride home, I thought, Lord, I have so much more than they do, light years more than they do. How come I don't have that kind of joy? Man, I want that. I want what they have. And the Spirit spoke to my heart and said so clearly, you can have that kind of joy. And you know what? You do. Because you have me. My friends, if you know Jesus Christ, you have access to a joy that transcends heartache, that meets you in the depths of pain, that will carry you when nothing else will. And it's yours to have. Because if you have Jesus, you have access to joy. And so as our worship team comes, I want to invite you to practice with me a little bit of what we've been talking about here. In the busyness of our culture, in the noise of what comes at all of us all the time, it takes practice to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you with me to take just a, some moments here, and I encourage our online community who will be listening to us to do this as well. Turn off whatever you turn off. If it helps to bow your head and close your eyes, then do that. But invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to remind you this morning of where your joy is. How does he want you to find that joy this morning? Would you bow your heads and, and, and pray with me? And really, we're, we're gonna listen to the Spirit now. Spirit, we ask that through a demonstration of your power, you would speak to each of our hearts now. Tell us, remind us of the joy that is ours to have. Lord, as you reminded me in the last worship service that this church family is such a rich source of joy and blessing to me, and I thank you for that. And God, I thank you that the joy that you give is a joy that is ours to have. You promised to give it to us. And so, Lord, we're looking for that joy here this morning. We welcome that joy. We welcome you. And we ask that you will continue to do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you believe that because it's true. And you know, as I was thinking about this, this whole reality of joy, one of our family verses, it's a verse that Jamie and I, really a passage, adopted for our family years and years ago when we first got married. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, and it starts out with, Be joyful always. And some of you who are listening to this might be thinking, Well, what's my problem? I don't, I'm not getting it. 
I don't, I don't feel joy. And the reality is you and I will go through seasons that are hard seasons. I mean, there's hard stuff that comes our way. And yes, sometimes it's difficult to find joy. And I'm not sure what's wrong with me is really the best question. I mean, in fairness, we always want to confess sin. We always want to call brokenness what it is and make sure that we're in right relationship with God. But we have to remember this is the God who's done everything to sacrifice in order to be near to us. So maybe, just maybe the better question is, so how can I find joy then? Because remember, joy is rooted in who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And this is where we as a community can help. We have prayer teams off to the side here. Sometimes you can't see how God's working in your life. Sometimes you can't feel him or find him. We're here to help. That's where community matters. And so we encourage you, if there's any way we can be walking with you, please let us know. But I want to give you the rest of this wonderful passage out of Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Also translated, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. And then hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. So let me pray his blessing over us. God, thank you for each person here, each person listening in our online community. God, once again, would we choose to worship you by trusting your word, by looking for and responding to your work, by believing you for joy and blessing. And then when you do bless us, looking to be a blessing to others. God, would we live that way as we go from here now. And we thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can. And we're grateful for that. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.